Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hello, my friends. Happy New Year. I hope you are having a road to awesome kind of day. Welcome into episode 52 of Leaning Into Leadership. My guest today on the show is Robert Jordan. Now, you may not know who Robert Jordan is, so let me tell you. Robert is the CEO of Interim Execs, which matches top executives with companies all around the world. Based on research with thousands of leaders and all different companies, he and Olivia Wagner wrote, Right Leader, Right Time. Discover your leadership style for a winning career and company. And they have launched the FABS Leadership Assessment, which you will hear about today. It's a free assessment at rightleader.com designed to help leaders and organizations perform better. Robert also authored How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America, and helped publish Start With No, Jim Camp's bestseller on negotiation. Robert Jordan is my guest today on the podcast. I'm excited to share that with you, and we will get right to that interview right after these messages. Hey, leaders, let me tell you a story. It's the story of my first year as a high school principal. I will tell you, I was exhausted, I was overwhelmed, and I lived my life breathing through a snorkel because my head was so far underwater and I didn't think there was a way out. I mean, I was a mess. The 40 feet that it was to move from my assistant principal office down to the principal's office might as well have been a 400 mile trek. I was just absolutely putting in crazy hours. I was trying to do it all. Like trying to answer everybody's question. Thinking I always had to be the smartest one in the room and I had to solve everybody's problems. We're talking severe Superman syndrome here, folks. Every day was fire after fire, and all I accomplished was putting out fires. Forget about leading. I was simply trying to survive. Now, after working with a leadership coach, I really was able to get things figured out, get my head from being a firefighter to actually being a leader. But it took work, and I discovered some things that really mattered. And that's why I've created Walk in Your Purpose, Five Mindsets to Level Up Your Leadership, a free ebook that you can have today at no cost. Just go to walkinyourpurpose.roadtoawesome.net backslash ebook to download your free copy. Again, that's walkinyourpurpose.roadtoawesome.net backslash ebook. It's time for you to walk in your purpose, to find joy in your job, and to be the leader you always knew that you could be. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. All right, Robert Jordan, welcome into the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, man. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thanks, Darren. I am as well. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. I know there's some uh, some really great things that we're going to get into today. You know, talking about you know four keys um, or, or four leadership styles, I guess that uh, you had done some research around in, in your book and that kind of thing. But before we do that, just really quick for my listeners who maybe don't know who Robert Jordan is. Give them the the elevator version of who you are and what you are all about. Thanks, Darren. Just so you know, some of some of your uh, listeners, they may be thinking, "Oh my God, is this Robert Jordan, the famous fantasy uh, author?" You know, there was a guy; his pen name was Robert Jordan. He wrote, you know, fantasy novels, tens of millions of readers. Sorry to those people. I'm not the same Robert Jordan. <laughs> Bait and switch. Uh, it's bait and switch. It really is. We're not. We're not talking about fantasy books today. We could. We could. Big Game of Thrones fan. 
Anyway, my name is Robert Jordan and run a company called Interim Execs and uh, looking forward to having a conversation. My um, business partner and I had just written a book called Right Leader, Right Time, which uh, I think is what prompted our conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's just jump right there. So Right Leader, Right Time, what kind of went into putting this project together what what's what's it really all about i i probably should say the full name because it'll give a hint uh right leader right time discover your leadership style for a winning career and company so uh the book is all about leadership style we discovered four distinct styles among exceptional leaders the way this research came about is that over the past 15 20 years the process of acting as a matchmaker where organizations around the world would call us because they needed some leadership in the C-suite, CEO, CFO, CIO, that we discovered there were these four distinct styles, which we call fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. The, the primary reason actually we wrote the book was because the vast majority of the thousands of leaders, about 7,000 leaders have kind of showed up on our doorstep over the past decade. And in the process of ranking and scoring and screening those executives, what became apparent to us is the vast majority of those folks were having leadership journeys. They were having career journeys that were okay or pretty good, but not what you would describe as exceptional. And we really felt the urge to write both about the cautionary side as well as the exceptional side, because a lot of people who, who have leadership roles are actually in the wrong role. That's not us saying it. Gallup organization says 90% of leaders are in the wrong role. And our observation was that for many leaders, you could sum up what they were doing is trying to be all things to all people, and it just doesn't work. Jack of all trades and master of none. Um, I think Correct. I think it's kind of that layman's term for that. Um, you know, when you and I talked uh, before we hit the record button, um, we we talked a little bit more, uh, a little bit deeper around how what you guys had discovered, and this is something that really, really resonated with me, is that so many leaders, I think the word you had used was had mediocre careers and not necessarily the great career that that they should have had or could have had because of exactly this, trying to be everything to everybody. Why does that happen? It happened to me. I really struggled with that, you know? So so why does that happen? What did you guys discover with that? Well, I think it happens for all of us, Darren, at one time or another. It is fueled out of desperation. It's fueled out of desire to be helpful. It's very... And very common that, it, you know, for all of us in the early stages of our careers, you know, the early stage of career uh, in business, I'm talking about, um, very few people have a handle on, on what we would call highest and best use. And so early on in career, there's a tendency to take on too much, to try to please everyone. Um, and that can be natural. What we would say is that as somebody goes through their career, the more success they're having, they tend to reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. So this is not easy. It's easy to say it is not easy to do. Early in career, devilishly hard because we need the money. We need the salary. We need the job. We need, we need to work. You know, you can't go to your family and say, yeah, I'm out of work because I refuse to do so. You can't do that. <laughs> right. You know? and, and, and I get that. But what tends to happen over time with exceptional leaders is more and more they are plotting a course that even if in the beginning, you know, someone gets out of college and is like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Well, there tends to be a pattern that forms. And for exceptional leaders, that becomes more and more. Uh, what could you could remark on that has voice, that has a pattern, and that over time, over time, as confidence grows, those exceptional leaders tend to reject more. 
Does that make sense? It does. It does. And it, it, I think it begs a couple of questions or maybe, maybe just dive in a little bit more for, for clarity, I guess. But as, as we talk about those, those more seasoned leaders who begin to reject some of those things, might that be likened to delegation or is that different than delegation? In part, it is delegation. Um, you can think of it on, on many levels. It can be that there is a client relationship at which you're not perfect and there's something else at which you are. It speaks to confidence that says you're going to have more trust in other people on your team, uh, um, people on your team who have their own unique genius that you will trust in that. So, so we identified these four different styles. We also saw three commonalities among exceptional leaders, regardless of whether their primary wiring was what we call fixer, artist, builder, strategist. So one of those primary commonalities was collaboration on steroids. It's this ability to truly trust other people on your team that, that their expertise has to come to the fore if your organization is really going to be winning in the marketplace and winning over other companies who are trying just as hard as you. So let's let's go a little further there. I love that so very much, that, that collaboration element. Um, and obviously, you know, I work primarily in the educational leadership space. And I work with a lot of leaders and leadership teams that have faced a considerable amount of turnover or have faced, you know, some some outside pressures some of which are very similar to what businesses face, some some that are unique to the educational space. But pressure from a board, not unique to education. Um, you know, labor shortages, uh, people moving through the career pipeline much more rapidly, none of that is unique. But uh, unless unless you think I'm wrong there, I mean, I, I don't think I am. I think that's pretty common across oh, leadership. Yeah, um, yeah. So I guess where I'm going with this and, and my curiosity here is what what I see and what I wonder about, and, and honestly, some of the leaders I'm working real closely with right now are struggling with is how do you how do you build that collaboration on steroids, that trust that let's be honest, Bob, that comes from years of working together. But when your team turns over, um, I mean, one, one team I work with has eight new members to the team of like 25 people. How, how do we best build that trust so that that collaboration on steroids can happen? Well, let, let me uh, um, mention the three, we, we call them pillars or commonalities of exceptional leaders. The first one is doubling down. The second one is collaboration. The third is no hiding. So to unpack that a little bit. Um, exceptional leaders double down, meaning that as they discover over the course of their career, the style to which they are best suited, they tend to keep reinforcing it over and over again. It, it's not that we or the world is pigeonholing them and saying, oh, you know, if you're a fixer, you can only go into turnaround situations. It's not that. It's that that person is finding more and more joy and success from this unique makeup of their own leadership style. And so they're gonna keep on reinforcing it, okay? The second point, collaboration, which we're talking about uh, a little bit before, you know, one of the, we interviewed a lot of leaders for the book. We also interviewed organizational psychologists, frankly, to ask them, are we crazy? Does this model make sense? And one of the psychologists, he put it so well, he said, you need to be spiky. And what he meant by that is if you look at a graph and it showed all of these qualities and abilities and capabilities that we all bring to our work, none of us are spiky across the board. None of us are, are at a level 10 on everything. It's just not possible. What he said is, is that on a team, you just have to be spiky in the few ways in which you are. So I, for example, have really strongly wired with artist mode. I, I can't turn it off. I just I have this creative ability that that it's wonderful in its way, but it can also be very limiting or damaging. And that um, I need the people around me to be exceptional 
in an operational sense, or we're not going to thrive as an organization. Right. And if I think I'm going to just kind of boil the ocean and that I'm going to be the one that's going to be generating the ideas, but also I'm going to be the greatest at execution of them. Oh, my God, we're all dead. So I have to recognize <laughs> yeah. that I'm spiky in these ways, but that my teammates are even more spiky and, and exceptional in their ways. And that's the way most modern work is accomplished if it's going to be great. So talking more about being spiky, when, when we think about then building a leadership team, are we looking for ideally people who can be spiky in the areas that we can't? Um, you mentioned you mentioned so well, and, and honestly, Bob, when you talk about about your your strengths, um, a lot of them overlay what mine are. You know, I I'm really good at the big idea. I'm really good at rallying everybody together, and I'm really good about hey, here's what we're going to do. But I am not in any way, shape, or form, any way, shape, or form, a type A. I am not going to lay out that detail plan. I'm not that guy. I can execute it but I'm not the guy to build it. Um, I need that person around me. My best leadership teams, I had that person around me. They were spiky in that space. So as, as people are looking at the hiring process, whether, you know, whether that's, I'm sure in, in business, there may not necessarily be a season for it. In education, there's very much a season for it. When we talk about finding the right fit and we talk about getting the right people on our team, is that really what we're looking for? Are people who can spike where we can't or maybe that we're missing a spike on our team? Yes, absolutely. And and again, this is not to the exception of, of well-rounded and all of the qualities that you seek and the chemistry that is going to make a great team, but there has to be in the business sense, there's this word accretive. And accretive is a good word for teams because it used to be that the manager of a team could just kind of go around and, hey, how you doing? And the manager didn't have to technically be accretive in the sense of contributing to the team other than oversight. Well, now we all live with so much technology around us that that non-accretive manager, that person that does not have their own spikiness to bring, um, doesn't work so much for teams. So there yeah. has to be this that everybody has a contribution that they are bringing to the team. The, the third commonality um, in the book, we, we said uh, uh, exceptional leaders, those are leaders who do not hide. And uh, this is something else you have to bring to the team. Um, the best way I can illustrate it is, is a negative uh, a few years back, Wells Fargo went through a bit of a scandal because um, it was proven that they had cross-sold millions of accounts oh, yeah. that their customers had never signed up for. And this was big news at the time, and the CEO was hauled in front of Congress and the Senate, and he was, he was asked, you know, on all these earnings calls, every quarter for years on end, you're talking about how your sales are going up because of cross-selling. and you know, somebody had a bank account, so you got them a credit card, or they had a credit card, and so you got them their mortgage. And he said, but it, and, but the, the questions were, you know, in millions of cases, millions of accounts, those customers had never signed up for them. It was an utter fabrication. And they put this to the CEO, the guy who'd been on the calls, you know, trumpeting this. And, and he said, well, that wasn't me. That was the board of directors. And anybody that knows anything about business knows that a board of directors is not responsible for that kind of tactical decision. It was a that was an example of a leader so thoroughly hiding from from his own responsibility. And and he was later banned from banking for life and and rightly so. Um, you want people on a team where you are holding each other to account. That's a good thing. And by the way, this is what kind of reflects back on the journey, the, the leadership journey, if it's, if it's only mediocre, which is what defines mediocrity is the lack of accountability and the lack of measurement. So to put this in very concrete terms, I could do it in business, we could talk in education as well. In business, if you have a leader and they're in charge of a division 
And that division, say, grows from 100 million a year in revenue to 500 million over four years. Well, that's something you can talk about. That's that's being held to account. That's that is a uh, mark of measurability, if you will. In the same way in education, of course, there are all kinds of metrics that can be looked at to say, well, what was the accomplishment? Or if something needed to be turned around, what, what were the metrics around saving? We need to hold ourselves to account. We're used to it in all kinds of other spheres, Darren. You know, if you and I want to talk about anything that happened uh, with our favorite team, I'm a University of Michigan grad, Michigan played Ohio State, uh, what was it, uh, uh, seven, eight days ago. Well, you know, the team and every player on there, there are these statistics. And we all live with that, which is, well, you have to keep score. If in this game, you're going to know how did someone do well and how does somebody need to improve, otherwise known as they lost. 100%. Well, it makes it makes me think a little bit, you know, too. I love that analogy, by the way. And, and of course, as we're in the recording process, your Michigan Wolverines are on their way to uh, the final four. And uh, my, my favorite team, uh, not a college football team, my professional football team, the Denver Broncos are arguably in the bottom four in the NFL. And there seems to be very little holding to account happening in that locker room. Um, it's very, very interesting how that accountability uh, dynamic works. Um, but, but where I want to go, I guess, a little bit more into uh, the accountability piece. Um, you, you've talked about a couple of different types of accountability there where holding each other to account, but then also talking about maybe some external types of factors or, or data, if you will, that can be construed as, as accountability or something to be held account, uh, accountable for. Um, what, what are some things that as you were doing this research, as you and your partner were, were working through this, that you found as meaningful and productive ways for people to hold each other to account that are not somebody being banned from baking for life because of, because of some real poor choices, rather building that, that internal system of accountability where I don't want to let Bob down as opposed to I don't want Bob to fire me. You know what I'm saying there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the first thing is, um, the first point we would say is have the conversation and have a conversation that you're both present. If it's with one other teammate, have a conversation you're both present and where there is authenticity. So I can tell you specifically, you know, we we did all this work, you know, five years to come out with a book. And we're about to uh, launch a leadership assessment tool. It's called FABS Leadership Assessment, F-A-B-S for Fixer, Artist, Builder, Strategist. Okay. Um, when it comes out, it's a free tool. It's about three minutes. And we've been asked, what should teams do with this? My response is, the first thing is have a conversation. Because the more that I know about you, for example, Darren, if we are on a team, and I know you're, you're wired so much with artist mode, with creativity and innovation in your core. I know more about you and how we will both do well together if, for example, my wiring was, say, more operational. That, that it's just, not to keep going back to metaphors with sports, but we see this with teams who we love. Um, I'm old enough that you know, I live in Chicago and I can remember the the uh, Bulls, the Chicago Bulls playing when Michael Jordan played. Oh, yeah. And and in their best days, it was, yes, a Michael Jordan show, but it was a team show. And one thing that struck me watching them play was that I thought, you know, if you blindfolded these guys, they probably would play just about the same and just about as well because they are so in sync with each other that that they're playing with that level of excellence. And that is where I would say each of us in our organizations would aspire to, which is, do you become so trustworthy to your teammates and they for you that you could pass the ball blindfolded and you just know most of the time you're still going to be playing a game so well together that it's going to be great. And so my first point is, have the authentic conversation with each other. 
I think I I, I want to keep running a little bit with that with that. Uh, uh, Chicago Bulls analogy because I also was a huge fan of of the Jordan era Bulls, and what, where where I want to go with that when you think about you know two different three peats with with those teams, and you think about how how seamless they were, how well they played together, there were very few constants on that team. Uh, I think the only one. Other than Michael, who has six rings, is Scottie Pippen. I could be wrong. Now, obviously, on the coaching staff, yes, you know Phil Jackson and, and and his staff. But you had Steve Kerr in one incarnation. You had John Paxson in another. You had Horace Grant in one incarnation. You had Dennis Rodman in another. It doesn't happen overnight. This is where I'm going with this. You don't plug and play and miraculously Matt Stafford comes to town and the Rams win the Super Bowl. That's an enigma that doesn't always happen. And it certainly doesn't happen for many leadership teams. It takes time, right? And even though the core of that team really were two guys and a coaching staff, you're right. They were able to build such an incredible trust and such incredible camaraderie from, you know, very unique individuals um, that, they were able to, as you said, so 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 well, pass the ball blindly, because they knew their teammate was going to be there. Um, yeah, I, this is. I'm sure I had a question, but but I now I can't think of it. I'm no, just, you're you're hitting on you're yeah. hitting on something great because this is where culture comes into play, and that organizations with any sense of longevity or history have culture. I don't care how technical or technological the business is. It's funny, you know, Silicon Valley. You think of these groundbreaking technologies, which which on the surface, it's like, well, they, how much do they have to do with the human beings? You know, once you launch a successful algorithm, you launch Instagram with just a dozen employees. But in fact, there is culture with all of these organizations, no matter how technological, and that it becomes ingrained for good or bad. You know, uh, Peter Drucker, one of his most famous lines ever is culture eats strategy for breakfast. So yeah, we can all use our big brains about what our plans are for our team or our organization, um, but, but there's this more longstanding thing. And I don't mean to say that leaders do not influence culture. They absolutely do, or they can, or they should. They should. But you know, when you're in an organization that is on the upswing, that is performing well, that cult, there is a culture there that is a blessing. And if things are going wrong, the opposite is true. And it is incumbent on the leadership to go look at the culture um, as being something very deep and abiding as opposed to what people will say. Well, you're hitting right on what I feel is one of the most important elements in leadership. Um, you know, I talk about clarity. I talk about intentionality, but it starts with that culture. Um you know, in a lot of ways, you kind of kind of completed my point with, you know, what was happening with the Bulls. There was a winning culture there in in Michigan right now. John, Har uh, not sorry, John, John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh Jim. has absolutely created a culture of winning. And unfortunately, in the locker room of my favorite pro team, it is not a culture of winning right now. It is how are we going to find a way to lose this one again? And in organizations, you're absolutely right, but I'm going to take it a step further. I think one of the most important roles of the leader is to have not only a finger on the pulse of the culture, but to be the driver of that culture. If we're not intentional about our culture, it's something I think a lot of leaders lose sight of. Um, Bob, your culture and your organization changes all the time. You get a new member to the to the team, new player, new team, as, as my friend Randy Russell loves to say. And if we're not intentional and staying focused on that culture, our cultural change, it just may not change in the direction that we want it to, which definitely can have an adverse effect um, and, and take you from being able to pass the ball blindly, to, to just use that metaphor one more time, to turning the ball over. Yes. Yeah, we um, one of the leadership styles uh, we write about is we call strategist. Strategist is the leader at scale of complexity and, and large organization. And 
all of the strategist leaders we interviewed, there are a lot of commonalities within style that are very different from the other styles. Strategist, if you want the mantra, it is cadence. It is that there is this heartbeat in an organization, but also its component parts. And so you'll hear leaders in, in larger complex organizations and they will say there's this syncopation, this beat to the board of directors, to the marketing team, to the finance team. If there's a specific project oriented team, there's this cadence. And what great leaders do is they quicken the cadence. They are working on this. They're working on this. They feel this pulse. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. It, and, it's, and it's different language than you hear, for example, from fixers, artists, and builders. It's pretty incredible. We, we, I, I find never-ending enjoyment from studying this because the strategist leader, and I am not, I'm fine on strategy with a small s, but the strategist leader is operating at a point of scale which is way beyond personal span of control. You know, Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits, Highly Effective People, he had this phrase, personal span of control. Styles, fixer artist and builder, they tend to be that their team size is 10, 20, 50, 100, maybe 200, but they know those people. Strategist is a leader at scale. They do not personally know all of those people, and it is not the way that they're going to effectively lead. We will return to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast in just a moment. But first, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said to yourself, man, I should write a book? Well, if you have, then let me ask you another question. What's holding you back? What keeps you from taking the step that moves you from, I have an idea about a book, to I am a published author? From experience, I would bet it's probably you're wondering who would even want to read a book that I wrote. Maybe you're questioning the idea. Is it unique enough? Is it valid enough? Is it good enough to be a book worthy of having published? Hey, as a best-selling author myself, I can tell you most writers have had the exact same feelings at some point in time during their writing journey. Here at Road to Awesome, we believe in cultivating leaders by elevating voices and promoting positivity. And a part of that work is publishing books for educators by educators. Go to roadtoawesome.net and hit the contact us button to set up a free, no obligation conversation about your book idea. Hey, educators, we've all had incredible experiences. We all have amazing stories and every one of them deserves to be told. Go to roadtoawesome.net, hit the contact us button. Let's have that conversation about your book idea. And now back to the Leaning into Leadership podcast. Well, to, to not screw up my brain, I always, I, I keep it on Fab's fixer artist, builder strategist. So fixer, as we've discussed, this is the leader who loves running into the burning building. Now, all leaders have to be able to deal with problems and crisis. We get that. The wiring of Fixer, though, is interesting because they need to keep on doing that. And when a Fixer leader is put out one fire, when they have solved problems in one organization or team or client, they have to move on to a new problem. And if they don't, look out. You know, one of the, the leaders we interviewed in a prior book, we wrote a book about exceptional company founders called How They Did It. One of the leaders in that book, he said, you know, if I put a fixer into one of my companies and the company isn't broken, he'll break it just so he can fix it. And I, we tried challenging a lot of the fixers interviewed in the book in Right Leader, Right Time by saying that quote, because I thought they'd all get offended. No fixer got offended at that. Their reaction was, well, so what? Like maybe yeah. it needed to be broken which is yeah. like, I think you're missing the point. But anyway, that's Fixer, artist. Artist is the leader who views the world as a blank canvas or as a piece of clay to be molded. The standout example in the world today of artist leadership, artist energy is Elon Musk. And the, the wonderful part, this is my opinion of, of Elon's leadership is Tesla and SpaceX. He has almost single-handedly 
turned the world around when it comes to electric vehicles and to the concept of space travel, that we don't have to rely on a government, that a private company can put us into space. I think it's wonderful. He's also a cautionary example that none of us are all things to all people, because as you and I are recording this, Darren, Elon is at, is at week number five, six of owning Twitter. Yeah, and, of bringing um, the sink. He brought the sink. He brought the sink. And, and man, if you want to talk about a cautionary lesson that fixers should not follow of how to be of instant service, turning around a broken organization, you can look at Elon and Twitter because it is not pretty. Not pretty. Um, so, so that is artist mode. Builder. Now, I know everyone in every organization wants to be the builder. Got it. We mean builder in the specific sense of the energy that takes this small product, team, project, what, what, is, what is little and embryonic, and taking it to scale, taking it to a point of some kind of domination and completeness. What you tend to see builders do after they get to that point, in business, for example, you see it with IPOs, is that you will see that leader move on. They move out of the CEO role, and they tend to want to go to a new organization where they can do it all over again. That's builder energy. Okay, strategist. We talked on it. We touched on it a little before. Strategist is leader at scale. Strategist is the leader that is talking about loyalty, loyalty to the organization. Strategist is the mentor, the one who was mentored. Strategist is the person who was cross trained and tends to stay at one large organization for a long period of time. It's a very different kind of language um, from fixer and artist and builder. Very few leaders in their career will round the bases of all four in terms of dominant. We all use all four every day, but exceptional leaders tend to have one or two dominant styles. So I want to touch on two of them. Um, as you were talking about Fixer, um, you talked about running into the burning building and I raised my hand. I know nobody can see that, but that's I'm raising my hand. I'm like, yes. You know, I should have never had wants... time to say Darren's raising his hand. That's right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I'm happy to you know throw myself under that one. But um, as as you were talking about the fixer um, and and talking about how you know they they've got to fix something, you know, and they they love to take on those challenges of fixing something, and and even if there's not something to fix, they're they'll break something so they can fix it. Um, it, it made me wonder, and I'm going to dovetail this into builder and then i'm going to ask my actual question here so with with builders that's let's let's take it where it is and let's really grow it to scale and you talked about how the builder will sometimes when it reaches a point say okay now i'm going to go somewhere else what i was wondering about with the fixer and so now help me quantify this or, or wrap my brain around who is that career bouncer that person who goes from job to job, to job. And I'm not the per I'm not talking about the person who just can't get the job done and that's why they bounce. I'm talking about the person who's like, I gotta find the next challenge, I gotta find the next challenge, I gotta find the next challenge. Hoop, master this, hoop, master this, hoop, better go do this. Is that more fixer? Is that builder? Is that two different things spiking? Or are those people just nuts? Uh, they're not nuts. There, there's a combination of energies going on and this doesn't necessarily mean um, leaving one company. So for example, we know a very successful executive, major advertising, global advertising agency, strongly wired as fixer. He figured that out because there was a broken country, if you will. They had operations in one particular country. It was outside the U.S., not as big as the U.S. And uh, he went there and he fixed it. And it took a couple of years to turn around the team and those client relationships, and he was hooked. And so he couldn't just go back to the headquarters to boring land. He, they, and they knew it. And to their credit, they sent him, you know, to another country. And, and he loved it because, again, broken client relationships, team that was not firing on all cylinders. And that's how that particular leader thrived. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So uh, uh, we'll dive into a little more of this, that it's part of the reason we launched 
Fab's leadership assessment because we we say things in the book that are anecdotal. We've been at this many years, but we don't know that it's science yet. We contend that fixer and builder are linear styles, which is to say most fixers tend to work on one broken organization or one broken division at a time. They do not do two, three, five at a time. Builder is the same. If your wiring is that you have to focus 24 seven on, on I'm gonna grow this organization or this team and that's it and I don't wanna be distracted. It's builder energy. The flip side is there's a very good reason. For example, Elon Musk in artist mode, he excels at working at Tesla and SpaceX and the Boring Company at the same time. Artist energy needs dissipation. It needs parallel at the same time. Strategist, by its nature, if you are running Federal Express, there's 20 things on your plate in senior leadership at all times, and you have to be good at, at juggling or spinning all of those plates. Talking about FedEx, Fred Smith, who retired last year as... Um, uh, he was the founder. He was there 51 years. Um, he's one of the only modern day leaders who we would say successfully kind of ran the bases between artist mode, founding a company, fixer mode, saving it, builder mode, and, and ultimately arriving at strategist mode. It's, it's not the case for most leaders that they have to excel in all and they will not excel at all. So let's percolate this down for today's educational leader. Um, so, so they're listening to this, maybe they go and, and they, they take the fabs assessment. I will hyperlink that in the show notes so people can get to that They get to the book. We'll talk just, just a touch more about the book here in a second. But when you percolate this down into the educational leadership space, which is where by far and away the lion's share of my listeners are, what might be from your perspective, a takeaway or something that they could be looking for or expect to see in right leader, right time or just simply from this conversation? It's a great question. And I think the first thing is it's um, know thyself um, or, or what was Shakespeare? To thine own self be true. I, I think to thine own self be true. And thus it follows the night, the day. Thou, thou canst be false to no man. If you're, if you're on this leadership track, I would suggest that the more authentic and genuine that track is, the farther you're going to go. We just, we live in an age that is so transparent. It's really hard to fake it. In the beginning, you know, we're all faking it when we're young because who knows what, I mean, unless you've trained as a dentist or you're trained as a cardiologist, you got, you got a track there that's really defined. For most of us, uh, even something where you would say, well, I'm in education and it is somewhat narrowly defined, no, it's not. Even in education, it means there's there's all kinds of multiple paths that you can take, and so the 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 self discovery is is all. That's the major point for all of us. It's not that there's something externally that is blocking us or holding us from more success. It's inside of us. So first and foremost is learning more about your own style. I think is a good thing. And I go back to what we were talking about before is the second thing, which is then having the authentic conversation with someone else on your team is always a good thing to do. The more that I can be vulnerable with you and you can be vulnerable with me, we're just going to end up liking each other more and performing better with each other. Absolutely. I love that. That is that is an excellent, excellent answer there. So uh, one final question, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how people can find you and, and those types of things. But um, the title of the show is Leaning Into Leadership. So same question I ask everybody here on the show um, right now. Bob, what are you doing to lean into leadership? It, it's a great question. It, it's um, I, I took on... My, my business partner, Olivia Wagner, and I took on the book, Right Leader, Right Time, and it was a five-year project. And the nature of writing in the modern world, Darren, as you know, is it's not like you've gone and delivered the Ten Commandments. You know, you're done. That's it. Yeah. It's Walk just, away. It's just the start of, you're just at the start of the journey. And I, I kind of made it doubly difficult on myself because launching this leadership assessment tool is now a new five to ten-year project, which is 
can science can 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 it attain validity in terms of accurate descriptions of a particular aspect of of the leader's journey so this is what i'm now taking on but i don't have all of the answers and there's there's a part of me which is like oh god what did i what did i sell myself <laughs> up for because it's not it's just not directly connected to how i earn a living it's a free tool but it has me so jazzed that it's like i have to do this i love that you know i uh have a fellow educational author uh friend um laney rowell who was a guest on the show quite a while back and uh, she said something i believe she said it on the show um about writing a book and, and just listening to you talk about that and, and now tying that into the assessment tool just makes me think about laney's statement of i don't write books to give the answers i write books to find the answers to my questions and i think 100%. you you've doubled down on that uh, unbelievably so not only now with 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 having the book right leader right time but having this assessment tool so how how can folks find you how can they get access to that to that incredible book and how do they get an opportunity to take the fabs uh, leadership assessment tool thank you darren i can be reached at interimexecs.com and uh, listeners can learn more about the book at rightleader.com and the FABS Leadership Assessment uh, is at rightleader.com. You just click on the link there and it should take about three minutes. It's free. Um, and because it's early innings, I'll tell everybody that, that goes to take it, you're going to get a result at the end of those three minutes. And then you're going to get another question from us, which is, did we get it right? That's awesome. I, I've got to go in there and take that assessment, uh, make sure that... Uh, uh, I'll let you know, you know, whether or not we get it right. In fact, I will go ahead and make the commitment now that I'm that I'm here recording um, the interview portion of this podcast that I will do that prior to actually releasing this. So so here in just a couple of moments, folks, uh, at the conclusion of the interview, you're going to hear me come back on and I will tell you what it was that I came out of there with on the FABS assessment tool and whether or not I think that they were right. I have a feeling that they will be. Um, Robert Jordan, thank you so much for being a part of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Man, I love this conversation. Just so much awesome, awesome stuff. So thank you for being here. Thanks, Darren. I'm honored to be with you. Man, what a great conversation with Robert. I really appreciate him coming on the show and sharing all of that incredible knowledge with us. Um, I did complete my FABS assessment. I'm sure you all want to know all about that. And I will tell you my results here in just a moment. But I want to bounce back into the episode for just a second. I really enjoyed the part of the episode where Robert talked about being spiky. In other words, being really good at something that where you're like a 10 out of 10 in that particular skill and leaning into that skill. And not only that, surround yourself with other spiky individuals. So members of your team who have spikes in areas that you don't, that's who you want to surround yourself with. The word accretive I thought was incredible. I love that he talked about leaders who don't hide. And I love how he talked about accountability. Another unique way of looking at accountability. We've, we've heard that from so many different guests and gotten so many different takes on the word accountability that I really appreciated that. Obviously, the fabs piece Wow, that's so good. Comes right out of the book, Right Leader, Right Time. I've got a link for you in the show notes so you can go grab a copy if that's something that you'd like to do. When you look at fixer, artist, builder, and strategist, those of you who know me probably have a thought in your head of which one I am. So when I think about fixer, that's a need to keep you know running into the burning building as, as Robert described that. You know, I've got to go fix this. I got to go fix this. I got to go fix this. Um, the artist molding with a piece of clay like Elon Musk. We all know that's not me. Um, builder, you know, the energy to take a small project and lead it to scale or strategist, which is I'm loyal to the organization. I want to mentor and train and grow people. Folks, here's my results. It honestly, it took me three minutes. I went in, I took the assessment. It's really easy to do. It's not invasive. Um, you'll enjoy it, to be honest with you. My score uh, came back with with this. It said, you are wired with strategist leadership style, which is exactly where I thought I was going to fall in. So yes, Robert, 
you guys got it right. Uh, it says here that as a strategist, I can operate at scale, navigating the exceedingly complex and large organization with ease while quickening the cadence of the team, division, or initiative. Quickening the cadence. I love that phrase. I probably had moments, though, in my leadership career where I quickened the cadence maybe a little too much. Um, I did enjoy, uh, when you do this assessment, you'll see that it gives you not only what, which of the fabs you fall into, but then also just some pieces about that. So uh, as a strategist, it says uh, operating in an environment way beyond personal span of control. The strate- uh, strategist leader sees the entire field, teams, and stakeholders, and activates a battle plan to move the organization while aligning with the mission and the direction, set the tone of the organization, shaping a strong culture. Strategists are passionate about people development, uh, skilled at choosing, coordinating, and marshalling resources, and sense the pulse and the heartbeat of the organization. So I will tell you, in my opinion, I think the FABS uh, assessment hit it on the head for me. I would encourage you to go in there and and, uh, take that assessment. I also put a link just to the assessment uh, down in the show notes as well. So please make sure that you go and get that taken care of. And now it's time for a pep talk. The new year is here. It's New Year's Day. It's time to launch into 2023 and to take on your goals. I talked about this in last week's episode, and I just want to hit it a little bit more. Folks, when it comes to setting your goals, I want you to think about backwards planning. Go all the way forward to December 31st of 2023 and start to work your way backwards. Whatever the goal is that you will achieve by that date, start thinking about it in terms of each month. I need to do this to stay on pace to achieve my goal. And then each of those months, backwards map them. So in the month of January, what do I need to do this week? this first week of January, in order to be on pace to achieve my goal, December 31st? What do I need to do today to be on pace to have this week stay on pace to keep this month on pace? You see what I'm saying? Really be strategic about this. Don't just say, hey, here's my goal, and then jump in. Have that backwards map. Have that plan so you're real clear on where you want to go and how you want to get there. You need a little help on that? Reach out to me, folks. This is something that myself and Dr. Brandon Beck do all the time, supporting clients, supporting individuals to achieve their goals. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. Folks, it's all about being real intentional and having incredible clarity. Thank you so much for spending time with me here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Get out there and have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.